to Stock Talk Podcast, where topics are covered and questions are answered across all parts of the show stock industry. Get ready to learn and laugh with your hosts, Trevor Kirkpatrick and Corey Edge. Oh, buddy, we got us a custom intro. What'd you think about that, my buddy? Um, I don't know how much that cost us, but uh, thank you. That saves us a lot of trouble, and boy, oh boy, do I wish I had that man's voice. Oh my gosh. Yeah, uh, really, really cool deal. I don't care how much it costs either, because it sounds so sweet. And I hope you guys liked it. We love Reed, but I think it's time to have our own deal. You guys, we're and, just trying to be uh, professional here. Really, that's all. Yeah, and he's got the voice of God or something. So uh, anyways, hope you guys like that. The new jingle is ours also. So, yeah, we're moving up in the good old podcasting world. Stuff with it. So, uh, all right. Well, as always, uh, we could not do this deal. Could not do this deal without. Wait for it. Walton Webcasting. Guys, they're in the heat of it. They're still going around these state fairs, sales, yep. open yep. houses. Yep. They're at every single major event. And yep. if you're not. You can be because they are the best at showing you where you should be from the comfort of your house. Live streaming at its finest. And here's the thing. If you missed it, just jump on the archives. It's not that expensive. Jump in on subscribe. You get access to every single event that they've been to. Dude, don't know I, why you haven't done that already. Yeah. And I don't even know what a subscription costs. I know what it used to cost a couple years ago when I first got mine. But let's be honest. I think at the time it was like forty bucks. Maybe it's similar for a year long subscription now. Well, there's more. There's like a oh, day, different levels. There's a month, and then there's a full year. Okay, so ladies why and gentlemen, we just cover our bases. Yeah, just get the full year. You're probably going to find that amount of money in your in your couch somewhere, or you've probably just you know you spend it on worse things. What, yeah. what can you go back watch your game film? Maybe listen to some judges talk some reasons. Just get a little bit better. Yeah, get a good people. laugh. You don't have to just watch the shows. There's right. some educational stuff. On the road with Greg's f- pretty funny. Uh, those guys do a heck of a job. So Trevor yeah, had some really good commentary there at the world, uh, the exposition. You know, go watch the CPS side of the exposition. Yeah. To if me you don't Trevor get go. enough of our vote, <laughs> enough of our voice right now, uh, go listen to the commentary. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Good stuff. Thanks, oh Walton. man, we love you. Well, as you guys know, you've already clicked on it. Uh, we have a very Good conversation with our buddy, uh, Brandon Callis. Um, he actually called me. I was on my way to look at some hogs and, um, I got a phone call that I, I was not, uh, not sure who it was. And, um, they said, Hey, I don't know how this deal works, but I think I need to be on your podcast. And I'm like, you're darn right. Cause you've been on the list and, uh, that would be awesome. He's like, well, the reason I need to be on is because my kid was in the backseat. I was listening to the Brad Hook episode, and he said, Dad, they just said your name. And he hit rewind a couple buttons, and uh, I'll be damned if he did not say my name. So uh, he called me there and said, hey, I'd love to do it. And we were like, heck yes. So anyways, this guy is obviously very knowledgeable about the show livestock industry. We dig into some of the uh, junior college and collegiate judging things and the the ways he thinks things can get better. You're going to hear it here shortly. I am super excited to get this one out here because it it transitions very nicely from Ryan Rash's um, thoughts he had. Uh, so, guys, Corey's got one for you. Hit him with it. 
ladies and gentlemen, we've got a electric human, a talented evaluator of all species. He's a cowman with a herd of goats. He's a coordinator of competitive ag teams at Redlands Community College and a current badass. He's darker skinned than the rest of us, Mr. Brandon Callis. Please tell us about yourself, what you do, and of course, where you're from. Uh, well, basically, uh, uh, I am the competitive ag teams coordinator uh, here at Redlands Community College currently, uh, which entitles me basically overseeing uh, our livestock judging team, uh, but also our, our, our beef team that goes and shows at a few shows around and, and kind of help with the beef herd, and I teach a little bit. Um, but the backtrack before that, where the young Brandon Catalyst came from, um, I grew up in a little town called Needville, Texas. Uh, it's about, oh, 25, 30 miles south and a little west of Houston, about 30, 45 minutes off the Gulf of Mexico. Um, and, uh, little town, love Friday night football, as most of them do. Um, love livestock of any kind. Uh, one of those towns where the town shuts down for, Football games and it's just down for the fair. Uh, were you guys? Hey, cool Callis, were, like you, that. were you small enough to be a six-man football team down there? We were not Garden City. No, we okay. we weren't small enough <laughs> to be, be six Dude, six man. Hey, that six-man football stuff is legit down there, though. Hey, those guys got to be in some incredible shape. Oh, like, yeah. like seriously, those guys get after it. No, no, we we were eleven-man football, and and I did participate. Uh, for sure. I, you know, when I was in seventh grade, they kind of thought I was going to grow. I got invited to a few quarterback camps. And then hey. when they realized that uh, they realized that I wasn't going to get above five foot anytime soon, uh, that, <laughs> that slowed down real quick. Uh, hey, man, I can relate to that. Everybody <laughs> thought since I could throw a spiral, I was going to be quarterback. Got in the seventh grade and everybody was at least a foot over me, uh, especially throwing footballs in the back of helmets on the line. Yep. Yeah, it didn't work out. <laughs> yep, for sure. No, no. Now, I won't say I did that. We did the rollout. I found passing lanes. So oh, we, yeah. We, oh, there we go. We figured it out, but it still wasn't very It wasn't very good for us. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, I uh, grew up, played sports. Um, my brother, sister, and I. All showed as well, but the, I guess the thing about it, my mom, she was an educator, uh, principal, and so she was real strict on that kind of thing. And in fact, I watched her pull my brother out of a halftime of a playoff game. He was starting point guard just because progress report didn't read like she wanted it to. So, like, <laughs> I mean, that's how strict that's how strict it was around our house. Uh, and then my dad was our four H county agent, which. Um, you crossed the Red River. You mentioned the name Dwight Callis, and I'm not sure you'll find anybody who does not like him. Um, and, and most people will associate him with a bunch of sheep, basically. Uh, he, he judges a lot of sheep shows, really a lot of county fairs anywhere down there. Uh, just does a lot with that. But, um, you know, we, we grew up on seven, eight acres there in Eadville. My grandparents ran uh, registered Brahmins for quite a while, about an hour south of us, and then turned that into a commercial cow herd as well. Um, and then, uh, I don't know, I just I took off. Went to liking the the whole ag deal and livestock judging. Kind of didn't have a choice because dad was so involved in it, and I just took a liking to it. And the rest is history, I guess. That's wild. Huh. Just to think, you know, everybody everybody has a different background and and where they come from, but you know, it doesn't take much. You're uh, you're raising some humpies down there with the grandparents, and and then uh, you guys got a little herd of goats now, don't you? Well. 
kind of. Uh, so, so my, my wife and I have this deal, like if we're going to show something, we want to try to raise it. And you know, I was starting to judge a few goat shows. So my thought was, you know, I want to see what these guys go through, like, like from start to finish, you know, what's the grind, what's the deal. And I always think that makes you a little better judge or evaluator of it. If you know where they came from, you can kind of sympathize with them. And again, it just makes you understand the journey. Um, and so we tried it, uh, first year was great. We bought some bread doughs. Um, first year was great. Got them all on the ground. It was a good deal. Uh, actually were raised one, raised both the ones we showed that year was fourth in a heavyweight class with the weather. And we were fourth in a, a class of 50 with a doe. And we were, we were pretty proud and thought, Dang. man, this is awesome. And then the next year came around and best nanny dies trying to have four of them. Uh, well, and, and <laughs> yeah. And then this the year came, this year, this year came around. I always tell people, I've never been addicted to a drug. I've never been a big drinker of any kind, but, but my addiction is judging a livestock show. It's hard for me to say no sometimes. And and I forgot I took these two shows uh, there around the Dallas area one last March. And um, that was not the proper time to be gone from my house because we <laughs> our embryos started hitting the ground. And we had a, that good show dough was due. And uh, boy, we we my wife had a hard time pulling that thing and and lost the the baby. And then I got home, and three days later, that doe bled out. And right then oh. and there, uh, she kind of convinced me that hey, we we might need to sell these things. Might not be for us. And so I told her we gave it a good hard try. But yeah, they're now currently on the market. So anybody out there who wants to buy a set of starter starter does, we got set. Well, there you go. <laughs> Shameless plug. I love That's it. How we're yeah. all about that. <laughs> So, uh, do you have any other livestock other than uh, the goats you tried for, we, uh, for three years? We raise cattle. Uh, pretty okay. pas- pretty passionate about it. Uh, my wife grew up raising Simmentals, and I always joke with her. I married her because she had the cows. Um, <laughs> but but no, we we've got we run around right at around seventy head, and and most of them comprised of percentage influence. And then we we've got club calves. Uh, I grew up a market animal kid. Uh, showed all kinds of market animals, and just that show steer thing there's there it's about like playing golf to be honest with you when you're not very good at golf like you hit the one good shot and even though the green fee is like 20 or 30 bucks you got to pay for the rental of the cart and you shanked a whole bag of 20 dollar balls from walmart but that one shot that you hit that got close to the cup it decided to bring you back that's like that's what it is like raising club calves Oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. 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 Like like you get you get the one that, that rung a bell and it's like, man, I just raced to twenty bad ones. I just had to haul off. So this is awesome. Yeah. I mean, you think That's about it. Week. I, I'm I'm the most amateur golfer of, of probably anybody I know. And I hit a twenty foot putt one day and I'm I mean, I'm just having a terrible day. Hit a twenty foot putt and I'm like, you know this golf thing really isn't all that hard, is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, I can relate the uh, the whole the whole show steer thing. You know, if you if you live in the state of Texas or Oklahoma, and you're into raising females, you belong in the Midwest, and that's where you should go uh, because down there, yep. I mean, market livestock is king, and and that whole game down there just intrigues the heck out of me. Yeah, it is. You, you know, and and. I will say here in Oklahoma, the thing I found probably the coolest thing about being a livestock enthusiast um, in this state is it might be probably where that line meets, yeah. where where you're just as, you're just as easy to get a Louisville, Kansas City Supreme contender as you are to get one of the better show steers you've ever seen. Uh, and, and you know, and you go further south, rightfully so. There in Texas, I mean, 
all the money and support and that they're blessed with and wrapped up around that deal, why not try to raise a show steer? I mean, yeah. just economics alone say go that way. And so maybe the breeding heifers aren't always as deep. You still have a few families down there that run at it and can compete everywhere. But yeah, that's been the cool thing about Oklahoma is just the, the well-roundedness of the livestock around here. That's what's uh, so on that Avenue, the, the amount of money that's exchanged for livestock down in, in those States is just mind blowing. But I think what a lot of our Midwest listeners don't understand is the scholarship programs and auctions that go on. Uh, it really just kind of entices people to want to go spend that extra change if they can to try to get a better one, to try to try to win or at least get themselves in a place to, to earn a scholarship and, and things like that. I mean, the payoff uh, of spending some more money down there makes more sense uh, for those guys. And maybe people don't understand that in the Midwest. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, my, my eyes were kind of open and I'll try to tell all my, my Texas counterparts that some will, will rumble and complain like, man, Houston only lets exhibitor keep 85,000. I'd remind them, you just said only an 85,000. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and, and when I moved to Kansas there at K-State where I got my master's uh, and, and I tried to help volunteer a little bit with the stock shows and stuff up there and you know, the grand gets a $10,000 check, the reserve gets a $7,500 check, and everybody else got a handshake and good luck next year. Yeah. You know, and, and, and down there in Texas, you, you know, people complain about that Houston model sometimes, but you can be fifth place, 15th place Charlet and take home a $2,500 check. No kidding. You know, and, and so it's just, it is an, it is an unparalleled, neat situation down there um, that you wish it was everywhere. I think OYE has done a great job of improving. Uh, every year but again that that houston san antonio even fort worth this it does the money those guys are able to build up every single year and i got to be behind the scenes of it one year as a grad student just kind of watching what goes on it is incredible the amount of work and time those show officials put in to, to recruiting that money yeah just nuts oh there's no doubt you know and, and another thing I, i've been down there for a couple pig sales and uh, other events obviously working out or whatever it may be but what fascinates me about texas oklahoma that whole area compared to like i grew up in the midwest in ohio obviously but part of their their gig is showing livestock in high school i mean you go down the the main hall uh, in a midwest school and you got you know all-star basketball player all-star football player all state this all state that on well, some of those schools down there it's grand champion at Houston or you know uh, reserve here and they have barns and facilities and part of their uh academics is to go out there learn about how to feed them livestock how to drive them and how to show them and care for them i think that is that is so unique uh to the 4H FFA programs um, and some of those programs are incredibly good. And then, like you just said, they go on to get those big checks if they end up doing well. For sure. Um, Did you guys that, ever get to, when you worked out, maybe on like the San Antonio trip, or well, I guess the San Antonio contest, did you ever get to go down to like that? I guess the building where they give reasons that O'Connor High School. Oh yeah, and tour that at that act facility. I mean, twenty four million dollar act facility. I mean, who has Incredible. that? I mean, that, that is it is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's something I've always, I mean, and you can have many jackpot shows there. Um, it's just a whole different ballgame. And people wonder why they're so competitive when you show up at a, a Denver or Kansas City or whatever it is. That's because that's what they do. I mean, they don't, they'd rather uh, be in a livestock barn instead of a football field or basketball court. So that's just something I thought is, is we're on the topic there that I've always uh, kind of uh, been in awe of, especially yep. 
you know, coming from the north here. Dude, I, I bet your your dad but, probably had a lot. Uh, there's a lot of pressure being an extension agent. I mean, if you're out there buying three, four hundred barrows a year, and you know, five, six hundred, you know, just head of livestock, sheep, cattle, goats, hogs. I mean, there's a lot of pressure to get get good livestock there, and help those families out. There, there is, there is, you know. But I, I think it's where I get my demeanor from. Um, that guy is like a no stress kind of guy. And, and I always attribute it because he tries to do it the right way. And so for him, it's like, Hey, we've got X amount to spend. Yes. I want you to win, but I more so want you to have the best project you can have that you, you're going to be successful at feeding. Right. You know, not everybody needs to go out and have that 10, $15,000 one, your pocketbook. Actually, you're going to be more successful feeding this one type of thing. And he, he has such a knack for that. I just, I never saw him stress growing up. And even though it was daunting, just buying that many animals for that many kids and trying to make them all successful. Uh, I could see that being a stressful situation for a lot of them, but man, that guy always handled it pretty good. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's all exciting stuff. And it's, it's not going anywhere, but up. I think there's going to be more and more interest, but, uh, Hey, we sent you an outline. And as we said, we're going to be jumping uh, around. I'm I'm going to warn you boys and you've been around judging coaches before we are random. So we can track real quick. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to swing right down, uh, the line here because there's something that, uh, we've been wanting to talk to about and, you know, we just had, uh, Ryan Rash on there. He's a unique character, but one of the most unique things about you among many is, um, you're one of the very few African Americans within the livestock industry. Um, so what is your take on that? Or have you had any naysayers along the way when you started your career or was it just kind of second nature? Didn't think anything of it. I'll be honest. I've been very, very blessed and fortunate with my situation. And, and I've always told people, you can see it a lot of different ways. There are those that come in and say, well, I'm the minority. I'm different. I have it harder. And and I was always taught by my parents that, hey, it just made you different. It made you more visible. Uh, uh-huh. and, and so if you can perfect your craft, if you can perfect your skill, they don't have to search for you. I always joke with my judging kids. The first week these kids are here. I always tell them the one thing you'll never have a problem is finding your judging coach when the contest ends, uh, <laughs> unless I'm hiding behind Mark Hogue. You know, it's one of those deals you just, you, you're not going to have a problem with it. So, no, I've always embraced it. Um, it's I, And, you know, I've never really caught flack about it. There might have been one one time uh, that I can remember a, a guy like he – it was at Denver, actually. Uh, I was associate for, for Shockey. I think it was 07, and – this guy caught me back behind the barn and he called me everything but a black man uh, as, as we were discussing the placing of his steer. And, you know, a lot of people were like, man, how did you not hit him? And, and my, my response was, well, I don't hate him. He's hating me. And that's his problem, not mine. Uh, you know, yeah. and so I've, I've never uh, I hadn't run into a lot of it, but I think a lot of it is my my attitude towards it is, yes, I'm different than you. Yes, I look a little different than you. But we're all here for the same goal. We're all doing the same thing. God, good, good Lord created us all. Uh, and so why am, why am I to, you know, to, to pick on that? And, and we, we also have a running joke. You know, well, in the judging team world, they always say, oh, man, cute girl is going to be worth two points a set in the room. And I always told them, you know, I had a, a real cool day at Kansas City, my senior college year. And I always told them, well, they weren't expecting me to sound like I did. So that was probably <laughs> worth two points a set. Uh, and, and so it was just one of those deals of, man – uh, there's a lot of people that will say you need, we need more of them in it. And I always tell them this, I want more people that have a heart for livestock 
And I, I want you, no matter what color you are, as long as you got a love for livestock and love doing it the right way, it ain't going to matter yep. uh, oh. to me. And, and uh, heck, people around me know and I joke around. And I joke around a lot with it. Just I, I soften it. Sometimes there's tense situations and, and people don't understand. And I always told them the good Lord put me here to be the bridge. Uh, I'm, hmm. I'm the one trying to connect things. I'm the one trying to make it where you know, we, we lose that tension. Heck, I, my kids refer to themselves as half-bloods. You know, there's probably people, there's, <laughs> I'm married a blonde-haired white girl, and, and there's people in my family that will probably cringe and say, well, you're not embracing your heritage. And I say, no, they're embracing who they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're they are half-white, half-black, and they know it. And one of them we call the silver baldy, and one of them we call half-blood. And, uh, we hadn't found a name for the youngest one yet. So it's just one of them deals. It just it just happens. Hey, uh, yeah, quick story. So I, I was on the road, and, and the way we taught my kid to count, uh, was he would look through a Showtimes or a Show Circuit magazine, you know, count how many times he saw either a Duroc hog or a Hereford steer or something like that. And um, that kid got to looking at pigs one day and he goes, mommy, you're, you know, you're kind of like a York. And she said, yeah, I guess, I guess I kind of am. He goes, well, that would make daddy a hamp. And she goes, well, I guess you're kind of right. And then I just turned and said, what does that make you? And he, with the, the growl in his voice, he said, crossbred. <laughs> and I just, I, I, I died. Kid knows the staff one. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> you know, I, it, it's funny. You know, I, I really, I love the fact that you lighten the mood and you, like, you know, black, purple, pink, yellow, whatever. It doesn't matter, it, you know, in this business. And this is kind of like what I said uh, in, in our ration review, you know, if you have if you have a legit talent and skill, it shouldn't matter what you are, female, male, skin color, uh, you know, tall, short, uh, goofy looking like me. I, I really don't care. Like if, if you've got the knack for it and the desire to do good things in this business, shouldn't really matter. And, you know, luckily for your situation, you've not really had to, to deal with much of that. And that's, you know, I guess speaks volume to the type of characters that we have in this business as well. Yep. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and I'll say too, like my people, my dad's generation, I'm sure they went through a lot more of it and, right. and just, you know, different upraisings. Background. My, my parents in, in, in retrospect, you know, my mom was not raised in maybe a, as ideal of a situation as my dad was. Dad was raised, he can kind of stem his family tree all the way back to when they first came uh, as indentured servants with Stephen F. Austin to Texas. You know, we, wow. we can go back that far. Whereas my mom's family tree, uh, she doesn't know really uh on a lot of it and they're still building it and trying to figure it out now uh but you know it, it did come from from a more slave dominant type of of environment and so even that in itself you find different different differences in, in how people have grown up and and then the things they have gone through are going to affect how they react to certain things mm-hmm. uh and, and i'm pretty cognizant of that and so again me myself man my my parents have blessed me in, in such a situation you know uh that they just provided for us. They taught us to be colorblind and, and they did. They taught us you, you, you strive for excellence and everything and nobody can hold you back and don't ever, ever use your color as an excuse or a barrier to say you, you can't do something. Uh, and that, that is something I'm so, so bl- glad they instilled into me and my brother and sister to the fact that it just don't matter. I don't even see color a lot of the times. Uh, it's just one of those deals. Hey, it is like I, I joke with my tire guy. Uh, if he ever listens to this, like I call him all the time. It's like, Hey, you know, I need a set of tires. They're, they're this size. And then when I pull in, he just starts laughing. He goes, man, I'm sorry. 
I was trying to figure out who in the heck just called me. And then this black guy rolls up and you're asking for these tires. He goes, I thought you were a white guy on the phone. I said, Hey dude, I get it all the time. I understand, you know, but I'm not offended by that. You know, I, I know some would, would take that offensively, but I just, I, I'm just not, you know, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't bug me because I guess I see it more so, uh, I'm a child of God, and, and as long as you don't offend me in that aspect, I'm probably pretty good with you. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. It just goes to show a voice doesn't have a color. No, and if mo- at all. If most of the time, uh, what you say is just is more important than what you look like. So there you go. When you're behind a phone or a microphone, uh, shouldn't matter. Nah. And it shouldn't matter if they're right there face to face either. So well, I, there's not a lot of people that that would listen to the show. I mean, I guess this mic kind of helps me out just with the the base of my voice. But, you know, to be honest, I'm a big dude and I have a loud voice, but uh, I do not look like I sound, I feel like, to most people. And <laughs> I mean, uh, nobody would think that, that I'm sitting behind the mic here, you know, 6'6", six, six, you know, 300 generously, uh, you know, and expect to me to not have this just big, deep, growly voice because of, of my stature. So you know, everybody can take things the way they want to. And, and, you know, I think it's funny. Don't worry, Corey, you're still not going to sound like our new intro. Buddy. <laughs> no, I won't. That new intro is incredible. Uh, but we've got, uh, <laughs> we've got, uh, uh, that was funny before we jumped on <laughs> when uh, we were trying to have some technical difficulties, I guess. And you said, uh, waiting for the cutlass to get here. Yeah. Waiting for the cutlass to <laughs> yeah. show up with the laptop. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and you were texting Trevor and I was like, man, I'm trying to imagine, Brandon Callis talking right now with Trevor's voice and body, and it's just not really coming together for me. <laughs> and you're like, it's okay. I sound like a white guy anyway. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, that's awesome. So, uh, so let's dive into to the cow herd just for a little bit. Yeah. You know, I, I want to talk about some of the genetics you guys are using, things that you're putting together that, uh, that you've had success with, you know. What's kind of the primary base, you know, what kind of different breeds do you dabble with and what's kind of been most successful for you? Um, you know, from a, a Simmental standpoint, we, we kind of, we haven't sold a whole lot of those. Our kids have started showing and we always, I believe in our club calf deal, I, I guess I learned from the hog breeders. Um, old guy once told me, actually Chuck Real down there in Texas, he always told me, man, in your crossbreds, don't be too far away from a, a purebred animal or have some kind of pure blood in there. And so with our club calf deal, we try to have a quarter blood semi or half blood semi somewhere in there. I just, I might not get the high seller at, at six months old or something, but I think those cattle feed better. There's more predictability as they've gone on. But like our, our club calf herd actually started, um, uh, my wife and I were on the judging team at Connors together. That's where we met. And, uh, we were just West of town judging in knee deep mud and there was this kind of red brown brindle looking key heifer that kept running across the pen she hit her nose every now and then she's bloodied up but we just liked her uh the guy said eight hundred dollars and we could have her and we snatched her up then which again i would not advise aspiring couples out there that don't know they're going to stay together to buy cattle together but, <laughs> yeah. but it, it worked it worked out for us uh on that deal uh and i can't say we bought it together heck she's the one that wrote the check i was too broke uh, but anyways, <laughs> that, that one in my mind, that's the one that started our club calf cow herd. And then we've morphed from there. Uh, we've had good fortune to have a lot of good friends around and mentors. Uh, my, my very first year show I ever went to, I was taken to by Brandon Horn and, and, and we've been pretty good buddies, uh, ever since. If, if you're lucky enough and blessed enough, be one of the people that he sends a, 
the text to at 430 in the morning. Uh, it's kind of a Bible study deal he sends around. It's awesome. Uh, but a good guy. But he actually gave each one of my first kids their first cow. Um, and he, and he did, he did that out of a bet though, because I went by his place one day and we were looking around there was this yellow cut cow that I absolutely loved. And I didn't have much of my savings and I I wrote him a check for 1500. I said, I don't know what's inside of her belly, but this is going to pay for what's ever inside of her belly without even seeing, I said, it could be a cripple. It could be whatever. This is what I'm going to, I'm going to leave the check and that's going to buy it. And he looks at me, he said, well, it's going to be a yellow bull and I can't sell them that cheap. He said, but if it's a black heifer, I'll just give them to your boy. Well, it was a black heifer. <laughs> so <laughs> so he, he he gave it to my boy, and that was his seven that ended up being a seven fifty donor. She raised a Houston oh, champion yeah. that his son showed. Uh so wow. I got I I have her my boy has her first calf. Um and then uh one day drought real real bad in Texas. I think it had to been twenty ten or eleven. And uh my dad was up at his place looking through some steers and he actually had a load of cows going on to the cell barn because he was getting rid of them. And it dawned on him. He said, hey, I gave one to your boy. I got to give one to your daughter. Uh, and so he calls me and says, hey, you're going to hate me. She sucks. She's terrible. But I'm pulling this thing off the cell barn truck. You cannot sell her. Just give her to your daughter. I said, OK, we'll do. Uh, and so I did. Well, I think later that year, we're starting to grow the heifer out and look on the back of her tag. And it says 419 back there. And if anybody knows anything about Horns Cowher, that heat wave 419, mm-hmm. she's done big things for him. And uh, I called him back. I said, do you know what you sent me? He goes, no. He goes, I just know she was terrible. Uh, I said, this is a 419 daughter. He goes, well, it looks like it's your lucky day. <laughs> uh, well, later later that year, I, I see, uh, oh, I guess it had been Ningal we trust when he was about two months old. Uh, we took the team there for winter workout. And uh, I saw him, knew he was out of BDR, went and bought some BDR semen, start flushing her that way. And we've done very, very well uh, with that flush. And so my son's mad about it because sister's cow is really kicking butt out of his cow. Uh, <laughs> so he, he's not very happy with it. And then my youngest daughter, she was actually born on Horn's birthday and he sure he, he sent her one as well, but she hadn't had as good a luck. Kevin, Kevin difficulties with that one and didn't work out as well, but no, that's kind of how we got started on those. And so we're heavy, um, on Texas style bulls probably yeah. on ours. Cause we'll, st- we still like to sell slick steers, but here recently I'm trying to keep OIE in mind cause our kids are showing and let's be honest, it just costs too much to go buy them things. And, and to, to keep one of a caliber that we could sell it, I always tell my kids, you got to be an entrepreneur and everything's got to have a price. And so we haven't caught, uh, kept a whole lot of them this year. We, we kept a steer only because we could not get him sold. Uh, couldn't get a $2,500 bid on him. So he stayed at the house, so we, we ended up feeding him. But it's one of those deals. Um, that's kind of the start of ours. We're, we're probably all of our fallborns, our, our club calf, most of our springborns, I'd say 80 90% of them are semis. So, we do so let me ask you this before we jump into topics from a hat. Do How do you – every family and breeder is kind of different. How do you manage the which ones my kids are going to show versus ones we're going to sell? Um, I offer all my show steers for sale. Every single one of them. Uh, uh, and not to sound bad, I hope it doesn't deter buyers, but it's one of those deals to me, uh, if a steer, if things go wrong or at the end of the day, you don't reach that achieved goal, that's a high price hamburger you're looking at. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With the heifers, if that judge puts me last in class, hey, I can still go make the next generation better with that one if I want to. And so we're still trying to build up and keep our females at a level we want them. Uh, my wife is totally, uh, she's not like any other person I've ever known. Uh, she is totally infatuated with the cow herd. In fact, every donor, but one she is responsible for, I can say that, 
Um, and and so she's one of those ones. She just does not like to let go of heifers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we we've sold a few here and there, and there's been a couple that man, why the heck did we sell that? We should have kept it type of deal. But now the kids have started showing. It's been a little easier to say, hey, you know, we just want to keep this one for the kid, and we're honest with them. You know, on the heifers, it's like, hey, we just this one's we're gonna keep. But show steer deal, it is anybody's ball game. Uh, everybody can come by, and we sell a small amount of Simmental bulls. Try not to keep too many of them, but. Sometimes it's just too hard to cut them things. You know, they just they need yeah. to stay intact. And you, you think, and then nine months later, when you got a big feed bill in them, and nobody's still coming and bought them, and you're selling them for sixteen hundred dollars a piece, well, then you're <laughs> you're rethinking the project. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, how does a person come find them? What do you got sales coming up? Or obviously, we're a little little bit away. We but, are uh, for the listeners. Out it's there. it's it's pretty private treaty around my place. Uh, I still like to engage with the customer. Uh, I'm on the fence on whether we should have an online sale or do something like that. It would gain more exposure. We'd probably get more out there, but I don't know. I guess I value the the relationship building uh, of the project. And that's something I think we're slowly starting to miss. Uh, uh-huh. and I, I love them just to directly come by them. It's cool. Uh, when they do, uh, but all our fall borns around February, March, is when we start to try to move some of those. And I just tell them, Hey, give me a call, you know, uh, yeah. and, and we'll see what we can do. Cause you know, try to lead them in the right direction. I, I guess I try to be like my dad a little bit of, you know, you try to find something that's, that's going to work for everybody and, and going to fit the way they feed. Yeah, for sure. Right. Love it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to topics from a hat. Uh, Gallus, I, I think you're an avid listener, right? I mean, I feel like I've. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. For I guess ever since the Brad Hook when I've been hooked. Okay. You got hooked on Hook. LOL. Captain Hook. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Ladies and gentlemen, topics actually, from a hat. Actually, I blame my I blame I blame my son for it because he heard <laughs> Hook mention my name in there and he's in, and he's like, well, yeah, Dad, I guess you better call in too. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. There you go. All right. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've stuck with us uh, to this point and this is not your first episode, you know what topics from a hat is. Brought to you by Fierce Threads. The only hat and merchandise we get is from Fierce Threads. Fierce Threads is your number one source for high-quality screen printing and embroidery. Put your business success at the forefront and upgrade your apparel today with Fierce Threads. Uh, talk about the the new uh, the big the big paw uh, cattle cattle edition cattle edition fresh oh, fresh yeah. out there uh, cool stuff. Go check out Fierce Threads or no Fierce Dash Fierce Dash Threads Get your merch. Pretty cool stuff. Slap happy hats. Definitely going to get one, and I'm going to use that to to golf in. Probably it's going to be my next thing. Oh, yeah. there you go. Happy go. All right. So, Callis, we have got a couple topics we want to run through here. Audience uh, audience submissions. Uh, we got a young man, uh, Dustin, on Facebook wants to know what advice do you have for a young person who either just finished or is wrapping up their collegiate judging career on how to get their name out there and receive more calls to judge shows. Um, I guess, um, judging shows and, and I always have to tell these young people don't do it to get famous. I think that's a misconception you get. You want to be known, yada, 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 and all this. But to me, those that last and that end up doing a lot of them, they have a love for evaluating livestock. Um, and they're very, very good with, with kids. And so my advice to young people would be, man, find a great mentor somewhere uh, to get in with. Uh, I got lucky when I went to, to grad school. Of course, my dad was a huge part of it. I mean, I from the age of five, if he was traveling to a county fair and I didn't have school, I was in the truck with him. 
Uh, and so we, we went all around the state of Texas. I, I think he's dang near judged all 254 counties in the state of Texas. <laughs> wow. Um, and, and, and multi-species. And so that was my, my guy I got in the truck with and rode around with. And then when I got to, uh, of course, uh, at Connors, uh, Blake Nelson there, he was an assistant coach and Jeremy Peake was our head coach, but Blake and I got pretty tight. Uh, and, and Blake would take me along, you know, judge showmanship for him at a place or two. Cause he got to that point where, he, it, it just showmanship was a little bit of a drag for him. And, and so I, I loved it. It was giving me a chance to get in the ring and getting a little experience. And so that was cool. And then when I got to K-State, um, I went there just to go to grad school, to be honest with you. Uh, I had no intentions of being on a, a coaching and judging team or anything. And my roommate taught me in driving a van for him one weekend and got to hook up with Dr. Shockey and uh, ended up being an assistant coach. And it was one of those deals, you know, I think that was in a time where his boys were growing uh, and starting to get to where they're pretty active and he's wanting to slow down. And so, man, he was just putting my name out there. Uh, and so it was one of those deals of do an honest job, do it the right way and find a real love for evaluating livestock and word will spread. Uh, but the first one matters. You get out there the first one and you do something that's uh, off the wall or, or political or not, because we're, we're all going to like animals differently. Not saying you got to pick them the same as everybody on the sideline, but you do something that's just slightly unethical or something like that. Uh, the calls will stop real quickly. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so it, that would be my advice to them is don't do this to get famous and to have friends. Do it because you genuinely love it. Do it because that kid that's seventh, eighth in a class of 10, uh, to make him happy, make him feel good about buying a project the next year. Yeah. Uh, I always my joke with my judging kids, we place an animal fourth and it's an easy fourth. I said, hey, you, now you got to convince little Joey to come back and buy a goat again. What are you going to tell him? You're not going to lie to him and tell him his animal's the greatest, but by God, you need to send him away with something positive. And, and that's probably one thing I'm starting to see in the younger ones and even ones my age. Man, we're getting so good at seeing the details and so heck bent on being correct and impressing people with our knowledge that, man, we just pissed off a grandma and three kids over there <laughs> over the crime oh, yeah. because they think their animal is terrible. And yeah, he might not be the best, but... You've got to find something positive to say about that one. I tell them livestock judging and life are parallel. Uh, livestock judging is real easy. You stick to the fundamentals and make good decisions, it will go great. When you start getting into the details you don't need to that are just kind of fun and make you feel good, that's when you get in trouble. Life's the same exact way. Uh, and so I always try to try to caution those kids, man, make a little joy feel happy. And if you can master that, you will judge a lot of livestock shows. Ooh, that's some deep knowledge there. Dustin, if you uh... – if you're taking notes, brother, you better better listen up because uh, good stuff. And I was always told too, and we've probably covered this topic a couple of times, but you know, I think it's always kind of a good one to reiterate. I think our audience may be just a little younger. And to be honest, it's good for guys our age that are maybe kind of we're in the center of the bell curve right now, um, working our way, you know, to to the higher end. But there's a lot of times where sometimes you and I've and I've gotten this way now is Sometimes you you get to a point where you don't want to take every show um, you get called to do. And, but at the same time, if you really love it, you're willing to take a loss on your mileage just to drive and go look at livestock. And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There, there's times where I think uh, you, people get just a little too selective. And as a young person trying to trying to get shows, you know, if the smallest county fair in the United States of America calls you and says they'll only pay you 50 bucks to come to their show. If you don't have very many shows under your belt, you better take them all. Uh, just yeah. You know. if, if you're if you're too, I always tell them if you're too good to do a county fair, you don't need to do the big shows. Yeah. Uh, the thing I probably get asked the most, like 
somebody will call and like, well, do you actually judge county fairs? And I almost get offended by it. And it's like, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I'll do them now. <laughs> will my schedule always allow it? No, I, I got a growing family. We do a little showing ourselves now. So no, I can't always say yes like I used to. Like you're saying, heck, when I was young and in grad school, uh, I'll be honest, they say you can't ju- make a living judging shows and you can't. But I know when, when my first kid hit the ground and my wife said, she always said when, when he was born that, by God, she was going to be a stay-at-home mom, and she stuck to it. But we were making 14000 on a grad stipe and staying in a 600-foot square house. And so I had to figure out something to do. Uh, right. And I think I was probably scared of the real world. Uh, so that's why I was in grad school. But uh, anyways, <laughs> I was – I was if they if they called or even sniffed that there was a show somewhere, I was saying yes, and I was gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. And not only just to make ends meet, but that, that – man, that grew my love for it. Uh, just, just being able to interact with so many kids from so many different areas in, in different types of kids, you know, kids that have grown up with nothing and kids that are very, very fortunate and just watching reactions and things like that is just, it was awesome. But yeah, I, when you're young, if you can, don't say no, get after it. Yeah. Uh, get to, get to my, get to my age, I, I say, and I'm only 36 here, but uh, I've been blessed to do quite a few of them. And it's one of those deals uh, I think I can sit back and say, you know, this weekend I need to devote to this or I need to go do this. So I'm probably going to say no. Yeah. Well, and, and it's like Albright said uh, in, in his episode, we talk about, um, you know, him getting to the big stage and sorting OIE guilts. And it's just, you know, he said leading up to that, he took every single show he could. Just, I mean, it, it's great practice. If nothing else, it just helps you kind of develop, uh, you know, a flow on the microphone and and being able to talk and interact with kids and and really just like you said, get your, you know, if you go out there and you do it for the right reasons, uh, you know, you'll get more calls. But I mean, it's just good to train your eye. You know, you can't get lazy and and think that you can only take three or four sh- big shows a year and that's it. You know, yep. there, there's been a couple of years where I've taken over thirty and it's that's a busy summer. But at the same time, you get real good at finding your mold and how you're going to be uh, interacting in, in in and out of the ring and just developing, you know your skill set even further. So I do think that's, that's another, a, it's an underrated experience is the ring dynamics. Yeah. Like I don't, even the first show I, I did, I wasn't ready. Uh, I'm glad I did it, but just how to handle a ring, you know, just being cognizant. If you're, you're in a cattle show, you know, make sure the exhibitors, a young exhibitor, hitting at the head of the line with going out of the outgate when you got them lined up on a side profile. It doesn't uh-huh. hurt just to go an extra half a lap around. Just little stuff like that, little ring dynamics, yep. you know, that just makes the make experience better. There's a lot of unspoken rules, and, and Corey and I talk about this a lot, that uh, that people maybe don't learn in, in college because what you're doing there at school is learning good, bad, good stock from yep. bad stock and how to evaluate them. Well, you really don't understand the unspoken rules until you actually do them. And uh, as far as, you know, looking at every single piece of livestock and every kid, even though some of them, let's be honest, don't, you know, we know where they go. Yep. Let's just say that. For so sure. It, and like you were saying with, with Joey in, in the seven and eight hole, grandma's still taking pictures of Joey. So we got to make sure yeah. that every kid has that same opportunity. And if you get bored in that ring or if you think you're not good enough to be there, then let's stop sh- judging shows because you're not there for the right purposes, just as you said. Yep, for sure. So that's that's awesome stuff. So we do have a second topic, and I thought this one uh, – was about perfect for you, uh, in my opinion. So, uh, Jason, excuse me, Jason is a parent and he has a son that, uh, he wants to get into a JUCO program. Uh, his son's currently a junior in high school. So he's got a little time yet. He's looking at some college options. 
What is the best way to get his son into a judging program? And what are the scholarships like that are, are they comparable to athletes? And is it more beneficial just to go straight to a four-year school? Kind of the answer to that one, but that that was his question. Uh, I'll take the, the the first one. Probably the the best way to to get into one, um, you got to make calls. Uh, yes, we we try to find out as many as much as we can, and we try to recruit as well. Uh, but man, and I can speak for the JUCOs, especially. Um, there's so many in my mind capable coaches around the country now. Like when I judged, there was about, and no disrespect to others, but there's about three or four competitive schools that, that you singled mm-hmm. out and you wanted to go to and be a part of. Well, to me now, uh, at least in the JUCO ranks to get in the top 10 or like a Louisville. It's tough. Yeah. I've seen one, I've seen one team go from, go from uh first at Kansas city to 10th at Louisville. Heck one year we were 11th and 12th in Kansas city and we dang near one Louisville the next time that, that two weeks later. So it's just, it's gotten so competitive because there's good coaching around. Uh, so I'd say try to get out there and don't be scared to make a phone call. Uh, I think the misperception is, boy, I have to be recruited and hard, you know, hard charged after in order to be, go to that school. There's some of my best kids that just they had a love for the livestock. They knew we had a program here. They made a call. We got things hooked up and we got them some information and got them a tour and showed them around. Um, so to me, that's probably the, the best way. And I will say travel around because, yes, I might think our program's the best here at Redlands, but. If it's not a good fit for you environment-wise, if it's not a good fit for you even climate-wise, it's going to be a negative experience for you. And so I, it shocks them when I say, hey, travel around, look around. This is what we can offer, you know, but see what's the best fit for you. Um, mm-hmm. Scholarship-wise, that's another thing. People have this misconception that there's free rides, like total free ride, and maybe they're out there. I just don't know about them. Uh, I didn't get a free ride when I went to JUCO, and I've never offered one. Uh, you know, a lot of schools can get close to maybe making you uh, full time in terms of tuition uh, on some of those things and paying some fees. But, you know, we still got to raise a lot of money to fund these things and have fundraisers. So it's not like we've it's it's nothing like uh, a, a college football program. It's not Alabama. We can just throw out money to five stars here and there and have scholarships yeah. And, yeah. and have them all in here. It's it's definitely not that way. Uh, it's a lot of, a lot of hard work with fundraising to get those kids in here. And, and you do as much as I wish everybody in the world could experience the joys and the benefits of a lifestyle judging program. It's still not for everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so that's another thing kids run into. They, they experience an FFA. They like getting out of school. They like going to see stock, but then boy, that first week, uh, some people call it hell week, I guess that first week you get into it and you realize you just judged 24 classes that day. And tomorrow you're talking 12 sets of reasons. You kind of change your mind. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a gut check for some of them. So yeah, it's one of those deals. It's not for everybody, but I, I would not change it for a world. Uh, I met my mm-hmm. wife, met my wife on a lifestyle judging team. Uh, by the way, I always invite the kids to my, my house for Christmas and they see the all American plaque in our house. And I, it hurts to tell them that's actually my wife's plaque, not mine. <laughs> um, but it, it's, it's one of those deals that, yeah, like it, it is, it is great. And no matter what level you're on or where you're at, I, I would try to look into it and get into it, but know that it ain't for everybody. And financially, yes, it can help. It's still better than, you know, cheaper than going straight to a senior college, but it can help. And then on the senior college deal, I think it depends on your drive and skill level. Um, I had an in-house girl on my team, uh, at Mariah Byers, uh, Todd Byers wife. Um, she didn't go to a Juco, uh, and heck that girl ended up, uh, I think third Louisville, maybe seventh to Kansas city. 
uh, and always did well. Uh, Kelton Mason, he's another one. He's a year ahead of me. He he wins Kansas City second Louisville. And those are kids that went straight to a four year. Yeah. Uh, and so they they just had a love for livestock and a passion for it. And if you are competitive at all, you'll you'll close that gap. There's this perception that you have to go to a JUCO in order to be successful. Does it help? Yes. Are you that much more polished? Not going to say you're not. But just like with anything, you got enough tenacity, you got enough competitive juice in you, you will close the gap. You might have to put in yep. a little extra work, but you'll figure it out. Uh, and so those that those that want to work and ain't scared of the, the competition, they can they can go straight into a four year and be just fine. There's there's advantage, there's advantages and disadvantages to both. I mean, it just depends on your situation where you see fit. I mean, what's unique about the four, going straight into a four year in an experience that you know JUCO level kids don't get until they end up at a four year is man, you've got three years to get in touch and be involved with the livestock judging program, even though you aren't necessarily a part of the team. But, you know, that's an opportunity to build on your skills from, you know, a set of kids that's competing at that national level. And then you have the opportunity. There's lots of schools and programs out there that have competitive meets judging teams, wool judging, um, you know, all these other programs that you can get involved with that maybe you necessarily don't have the chance to at a junior college level. So there's give and take in both. And, you know, uh, I can just speak for myself. It was, it's a great transition out of high school uh, instead of getting thrown into, a, you know, a school that's got, you know, 30, 40,000 kids at it uh, to a skid this school that's got three or 4,000. And so that allows you the opportunity maybe to take that next step that isn't quite as big. Uh, your class size is maybe a little bit smaller and you can engage more with your professors. So there's definitely opportunity, I think, in the junior college realm to to have a little bit of an easier transition into the four-year program. But I've got some good friends and and Kyle, you hit it on the head. There's people that have uh, countless stories of people that were quote unquote in-house kids uh, that went straight into a four-year university that went on to be extremely successful and win national championships and high individual awards at, at some of the major livestock judging contests. So it's all depending on on your current skill base, honestly, and then where you see yourself being the most comfortable and, and just kind of. Oh, for sure. Yep. I mean, and I think something else to touch on too is for me, I had, a, I was breaking a bunch of bad habits in JUCO yep. and it took me those two years to get where I needed to be going into Ohio state. And, uh, thankfully I didn't jump into the four year and have to break them then cause it's too late. Yep. So I had those two years to get with it, but mainly what, what it helped me in the long run in my, my adult life is the mental aspect it takes to conduct 12 classes and eight sets of reasons. Uh, it is a long day and it even practices you judge all day long and you, and you, uh, give some reasons at night or whatever it is. There's a lot of mental things that go on. Like, am I going to be able to get through this? And those two years, you may not think it, but that's preparing you for the real, the real world. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, I, I totally, totally agree with it. I mean, I, I have paralleled life and lifestyle judging so much and, and, I, the mental toughness, the mental game is probably as I've become more seasoned as a coach, uh, that's the thing I enjoy the most, just watching these kids mentally do something that they didn't think they could do. I mean, you should have – we are on our, you know, first day of judging practice today pretty much, and uh, these freshmen I have in here, when I told them they'd have to talk eight sets of reasons, and some of them have been through it and expected it, but there's a few of them are like, you got to be kidding me. We're going to talk eight sets of reasons? <laughs> yeah, eight sets of reasons at a contest. But, yeah, it's the mental grind of, of sticking through something like that. And, uh, I mean, I'll never forget 
uh, <laughs> judging for Jeremy Peak, things just get harder sometimes. And we were on that winter workout, and sure enough, we we roll up and we're at OSU's uh, center, and they're like, "Hey, we're going to talk some reasons." So we're thinking, you know, it's like seven, eight o'clock at night. We're thinking, "Oh, talk two, three sets, go to bed." Well, set fifteen. You know, you're you're down to Ooh. boy, this one's heavier muscle and longer. Let's move to the next <laughs> one. You know, and, but. And, and then he's sitting there yelling at you, and you're like, where does this old man get the energy from that he's still <laughs> sitting here critiquing these reasons, but the reason he's yelling at you is because he's got that passion to make you better, and he knows mentally if you can get through this, there's nothing. you. I, I will tell people that the reason I can handle just about anything thrown my way, he's one of them because he's about as hard as they came, but you can get through it for sure. Well, topics from a hat. Good stuff. Good stuff. Big time. Well, uh, Trev, this is something that's not on our agenda uh, here, but something we talked uh, off the mic that we probably wanted to bring up and discuss a little bit. And and for a guy that's judged some major shows and, and been in the spotlight of, of selecting and evaluating uh, multi-species, you know, it's it's easy to find, uh, find excuses uh, when you get beat, especially using the, the excuse of politics. Uh, and and maybe I'd like to, if you want to jump on a soapbox, by all means, <laughs> please do it. Uh, because I think, you know, in this show, we've got the platform and the opportunity to talk about things that uh, people maybe have private conversations about, which is fine. Uh, but if if the large majority of, of folks in this business don't understand that, um, you know, or, or maybe they, they feel like it's not discussed enough or people don't realize it's going on uh, at different levels, you know, I think we got to just be a little bit more open and honest about about things and where we need to be realistically and and how we as uh, evaluators owe it to uh, not only our, our own integrity, but uh, just to the to the show stock industry to be honest in what we do. So take it away. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's one of those deals. And, and I I probably come at it from a standpoint of um, don't let a few bad apples spoil the bunch. Yeah. Because there are a handful of them that do. And I can count on my hand, maybe three fingers, of three times that I blatantly watched it go on to where I was just like, boy, that just that's not right. And there's other times you wanted to think it was. You wanted to connect the dots because you could, but you really couldn't tell that it was. Right. And I think that goes on more than not. Uh, and, and, you know, and I I try my best as far as integrity. I always tell people my senior year. Uh, I had a lamb uh, that, that I, we were very, very proud of, and, and we'd done very well at our county. Um, and to me, again, everything goes at the county level. That's where the most pride is. And, and we got beat in the class, and I didn't agree with it. And, I, and it, was one, it was the only time I, I could not see his justification because I, I do sit and understand as a competitor, they're not always going to like my animal. But as long as they tell me why, I'm good with it. And he never did. And then my dad felt I was old enough to know. Well, I didn't realize two months before that my dad had beat that that guy's daughter at a show. Um, and so this was like his chance for payback, basically. Mm, okay. uh, and, and, you know, and that didn't sit well. But then there's other cases where, you know, I've been accused of it. Uh, and, and I'll be real frank, and, and it's probably not the most politically correct thing to bring up. But, you know, typically people that judge Ohio State Fair get to come back in the steering ring. I didn't get to come back this year. Uh, and I found out that there was a nice letter that was written, uh, an email where I didn't get to come back. And, and it it hit me as, boy, that was a hit to my pride yeah. because 
I have tried to live my life. My parents have raised me and I try to do things in a way that are professional and honest. Um, and I might not always, y- yes, we miss them. That's the thing people don't realize we're human. We can miss one. It's not like we're trying to, but we can. Yeah. Uh, but to not be asked in, in that regard and for what that letter said and email said, uh, that's what would kill me because it attacked my legacy it attacked my integrity, and that's the thing I didn't like. So I think a lot of times people will figure out how to connect the dots. I'm judging Kansas City this year, and I can think in the back of my mind, there's a handful of people that I know that I've grown on with, that I've bought stock from, that I've sold stock to, that if they were to win the show, people will try to connect the dots oh, yeah. and make it a, a big point because they think it's there. And like you guys mentioned when y'all were talking to Ryan, if you don't know somebody, if the judge doesn't know somebody, you're probably just a little scared <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. as far as, you know, where they've been and where they got them from. Are, are they current enough and been out there? Not that their knowledge base is off. It's just, do they know what's current? Do they know what's out there? Do they know what they're seeing? And so I think a lot of times the rumor mill and social media doesn't help it. Uh, I think social media has brought up a sense of confidence in people. I call it false confidence that, man, they can just blurt out and say what they want and, and attack behind a keyboard. Um, I've always told people, please tell me to my face. Like I, I might be one of the few people that after a show, I will tell you, Hey, if you don't like something, man, come discuss it with me. Yeah, and I'm not doing that. in a, I'm not doing that in a, in a way that I want a conversation, a confrontation. I want to whoop you. Heck, most people are bigger than me. Uh, so I wouldn't <laughs> want to fight them, but I always tell them too. Hey, I don't fight to what fight fair. I fight to win. So, so just, yeah. just to caution somebody I might want to try, <laughs> uh, but it's, but it's, but it's one of those deals of, Man, uh, I like discussing things. Uh, I just I like being able to to say my piece and speak my piece and say what I thought and see what say what I saw. And if you're not, you know, grown up and mature enough to respect what I saw and not see it, well, either I didn't explain it well enough or you're barn blind. And I always tell my kids barn blindness is a terrible disease that's probably going to ruin the stock show industry if we don't get it under control. Right. I think we get out there and we show up to a show and it's like, you know, we don't see that there's that one barn burner there. So everybody thinks they got a shot, which they do. But the problem is there's about 10 steers that can win that show, you know? Yeah. And as long as that judge used one of those 10 best ones, everybody probably needs to go away. Okay. With it as long as they justified it. But the minute that, you know, I can see that my calves, the soundest one out there, but I'm forgetting the fact that he has no muscle. But I'm all wrapped up on, boy, he ought to pick him sound. Or, you know, I've got the heaviest muscle, biggest butted one in there. I should have won the show. Well, I'm forgetting that he's dragging a hind leg and he's bucked over up front. You know, but, mm-hmm. it's, but it's one of those deals. In my mind, I've justified that there wasn't a clear-cut winner, so mine must be the one that's the best one. So I, it's that barn blindness that is slowly taking over. And I'll fight it, too. I mean, who doesn't have pride in their own livestock? Yeah. Uh, that's right. for sure. But at the same time, man, you just got to step back and look and say, hey, did that guy or gal explain themselves? Did, did I see what they were saying and if you saw what they were saying you better high five go back to the drawing board figure out what you could have done and get back to it instead of going and starting a rumor mill because uh, that rumor mill spreads quick and it spreads fast and nowadays unfortunately we are no longer innocent until proven guilty it is guilty until you get to the next show and figure out man they weren't really that bad yeah uh you know another, another example of it is you know when i was young younger i did the ohio beef expo and I'll never forget this one. Breeders World was an open forum and you could say what you wanted uh, to say. Yeah. I'm not sure you guys were old, old enough to remember it, but you could say what you wanted to say when you wanted to say it. And 
man, it was right when I was starting to, you know, do a bunch of beef expos and bigger jackpots. And man, I was getting killed by a few people on there. And I had some people that come and support, but I was getting killed. And I'll never forget this moment. I'm walking out of the ring at the Ohio State Fair. Um, and Roger Hunker, Breeders World, he, he comes over to me and he says, man, you did a heck of a job. He goes, you know, uh, my, my forum's open. Everybody can voice their opinion. He said, but do you want me to take that negative stuff off? Because I've seen it with my own eyes. That's not you. You weren't political. And I told him, hey, it's a free country. I'm a big boy. If I can't handle the criticism, I don't need to be judging. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I let him talk because uh, I always live by this motto. Uh, as long as I can please the good Lord, uh, make my parents proud. My wife's happy that I'm still her husband. I, I could care less what anybody else thinks. Um, and, and so they can go and dog me all they want. They're really not going to affect my psyche. I'm going to go home and love my kids and sleep real good at night. Can we chisel that, uh, saying in stone <laughs> and then you send it to me in the mail. I'm, I'm going to hang it up on the wall. <laughs> I'm writing it down so we can share the world yeah. though. Oh uh, but, but no, that's just, that's, that's my mindset on that. And it, uh, it runs rampant and it's sad. I was I, actually, I was just having this conversation with my judging kids. We got to talking about this and I, and I had to remind them one of them wanted to start judge bashing. I said, Hey, before you go judge bashing, ask yourself, did that guy or gal see them in a way that you understood what they uh, said? And the answer was yes. I said, well, I don't need to hear anymore. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, heck I'm competitive. When we take one out of the barn, we're not going to lose. And we think we've got a good one going we're pretty selective on what we take, but I'm not ignorant to the fact that, boy, if I got beat, there just might've been one better. Right. You know, you, you, How just, about that? you, get, yeah. you just, you just roll with it and you, you go on, but I think that's probably what has brought maybe more of a negative light to things as far as, man, it's just, and I guess it's in the world in general, like everything is so gosh darn negative. And if we can figure out a way to take somebody down, we do. Um, yeah. and, and it's cool to see somebody rise that doesn't have much, but once they've gotten to a certain pinnacle, it's like it's time to take the knife and start cutting them down. And, and I, yeah. I hate that part of society i hate that part of this stock show industry uh but again man let the haters hate because it ain't gonna bug me one bit i'm gonna sleep real real well yeah (laughs) it's uh you know you're right it is it is a few bad apples and it's unfortunate when situations like that happen uh but i could not agree more that everybody wants to find an excuse why they like why they got beat uh yep and, and and, you know, if you can follow a judge, at least maybe they're inconsistent. But if they describe the livestock and what they see and they say why they beat your calf or your or your barra or whatever, I mean, you, you can't go away. I mean, you can you can go away mad and frustrated that they maybe used bad livestock. Um, but if they didn't know any better, that's kind of on your selection committee that's hiring the judges <laughs> at that point. And, and- and we can go next level as far as, you know, those guys that have been involved with the industry forever that, that kind of think they can, you know, tailor a guy, figure out what he likes. But that one moment he doesn't use what they think he needed to use or what he normally used, they cry foul play. Yeah. And and, well, and my, my deal is what was at the show? Maybe that was all that was there to pick from. Maybe that maybe his kind or her kind exactly wasn't there. I've been to a couple big shows. That was the case that – I didn't find that one. It just hit me in the mouth and said, man, that's, that's the kind I write home about. 
But that's part of being an evaluator. You buckle down and you figure it out and you find just the best of what you can. You confidently explain the facts and you roll with it. And, and you got to be good with that. And I, but not everybody is, you know, they, they can, it, when, when they can easily throw stones, by God, they will. You just got to build a tough wall and have thick skin. I, I just told my extra tan gives me a little thicker skin. So I'm good to go. <laughs> hey, let's, yeah. Well, there, there's that. There's that unpopular opinion uh, that uh, Jennifer Scheich wrote. There was a little uh, blog there. And the unpopular opinions to go over and, and shake the hand of the one that beat you and say, that one's better than mine. Good job. And yep. that's the, you, don't, you don't hear that very often because it's so much easier to throw them rocks you were just talking about. And I don't think a lot of people will get it unless you've actually been in that circle, in that ring. Yep. Uh, yep. I take so much pride. Like I said, that is my addiction. Sitting in that circle and... and People would be shocked when I tell them I was a very, very shy person. My dad always had to kick me in the butt and say, hey, look up in somebody's eye and speak up. Uh, but for some reason, I get in that circle and you're able just to tunnel in. And me and my crazy self, I got my coffee straws with me, uh, just chewing it on on one. And I'm just in a happy, cool place. And it's just me and the stock and a coffee straw. And, hey, let's <laughs> let's let's sort the stock and let's get on with this, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um and uh, and so I want to dig a little deeper in the weeds on this, just just because yeah. we've got the platform to talk about it. Uh, hey, we we got it. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, let, let's talk about the bad apples though, um, and what it looks like from the outside, and then you know when when the truth is it comes out, you know that there is foul play involved or or there is legitimate politics. You know, um, as an industry, you know, what's your thoughts on maybe trying to weed some of that out, or or how do we eliminate that? Do we just you know, cut those guys think, from the judging pool. I, I, or I, think, I think you guys hit on it a little bit when you were talking about the levels of you know recommendations to the like nowadays. You know, if you're asked to recommend something to a committee and somebody find out that you get to recommend something, hey, can you put this guy on the list? Hey, can you put this guy on the list? And and my deal is, if I'm ever asked to s- submit a list. I'm pretty hard on them. And I always tell those folks, hey, can you give me a week or a couple of days to do it? And they kind of sit back and say, why? I said, because I want to make sure I'm sending you somebody that I trust that has integrity. Um, mm-hmm. And and so I, I take it seriously. But, yeah, like we've got to be able to control it at a level of we got to take the selfishness out of it. Like we, we've got to take it, take out the part that, you know, well, so and so, you know, saw that guy. I saw him shaking his hand down the road. That guy might be, be doing a good and great job of judging, but because you saw them shake this person's hand, you eliminate them from the list. But you don't remember that you were eating dinner with the other guy that's on the list, or maybe you do remember and don't care, but you're going to keep them on your list. Yeah. You know, just, just mm-hmm. stuff like that, we've got to be able to cut out. And if you could, it, it I don't think it will ever leave because it's just society and human nature at some point that. We've got that evil tendency to want to be selfish and make sure we're taken care of, but boy, we got to fight it, and we got to get to the point where we're, we're submitting. And I did like the idea of, you know, a, a show puts out three of them out there and has the exhibitors vote on it. Now you're going to end up with some of the same stuff, yeah, at, at some at some level, but at the same time, they can't complain about it at that point. It's just like electing the president; they all want to complain about the current one, but guess what? You had your voice, you had your chance. You just got outvoted by the majority, and that's what happens. Uh, that's yeah. We actually got a message on Facebook about uh, Keystone actually manages their their judges like that. Yeah, you know, uh, and, and that's that's a that's an innovative, neat way of doing it. Uh, and I've talked to some that are like, "Hey, I don't want to give up that kind of power because I just don't trust the public." And 
I mean, yeah, a lot's on the line, uh, especially at some of those bigger majors and things. You want to make sure you have it right, but there, there's got to be a way. And, and I'll be honest, there's it seems like there's a gap. So you, you've got like the Scott Grinders and the Scott Shockeys of the world who in Jack Ward and Dan Hogue and Mark Hogue have done everything 10 times over. Yeah. And then you've got, you jump all the way down to to folks my age that are starting to do quite a few of them. And then we've gotten into the 20-year-olds that are doing some of this big stuff. There's a gap of 40 to 50 that there are qualified guys in there and gals in there that need to be sorting these stock shows, but because you've never heard of them or the fact that you just don't trust them because you hadn't seen them judge a show because they're not on your necessary list, you don't go out and search for those people. There's got to be a way we can we can set it up better where we can, I don't know, kind of pass the word, hey, this guy does a good job. No, he hasn't done many. And, and everybody's got to have their first one, you know. Um it, it, like I, I will forever be thankful to the San Antonio Stock Show. Uh, my dream was to always be a, a multi-species judge. That's what my dad did. I wanted to judge every county fair in Texas like he does. Well, the good Lord had different plans, and I've gotten to do them on an even bigger level. In San Antonio, I've gotten to do the heifers and the goats there. Well, that goat, that was, you know, somebody asked me how long I've been showing, judging goats. That was my fourth goat show to judge. Not not counting the county fair or something. I'd done Denver, I'd done Louisville and the Missouri State Fair and then jumped into San Antonio, biggest goat show there was at that time, and got to do that. Well, it took a little bit of wavels to, to hire me to do that being my first time. But having somebody take a chance on you, I think because you got a little integrity and have showed it, they were able to have, you know, some confidence in doing it. And I hope it I hope they think it turned out well for them. But we've got to be able to afford more people that chance. But I've always wondered, like there's these guys that are 10 years older than me that I, I think are very capable and credible and can do it, but they don't even get asked to do, huh. you know, yeah. and, 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 and the problem with what I see with our younger ones doing it, they're way too wrapped up in wanting to make a friend and wanting to be accepted that it, they make it easier for the politics to go on if they're going to go on. Uh, yeah. Because of that, it's, it's our culture of the instant gratification. I want to be patted on the back. Uh, I feel so sorry for my own personal kids because I coach a judging team and I don't believe in pats on the back. And I believe you have to earn everything you get. And so with mine, I'm a little hard on them uh, because I have seen the spoiled. I have seen the entitled and I don't like it. But to me, our show judges are getting that same way. They they think the younger ones that I deserve to judge a big livestock show. Well, my point, you hadn't even earned it. Yeah. Uh, you know, my own judging team members, I, I probably stifle them a little bit, but I don't even like when they do some of the county fairs if they hadn't been through a four-year judging program yet because I just don't think they're mature enough to handle it. And once I don't think people realize the pressure that you get under, uh, or at least you should have under, uh, when 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 you're out there trying to do a, a good, honest job of sorting. If you're not mentally locked in, if you're not spiritually in a good place, it'll happen. You You will find yourself migrating over and doing things you do not need to do. Uh, so we've got to find a better way or, or, or find a way of isolating and figure out who out there can sort them. Can we put the, it's, it's about like running a judging team. Here I go parallel net with life again. Like <laughs> I like to see who can handle the pressure, who I can give cards to. It's going to be successful. It's the same thing with these judges who, who can handle that pressure being in the big stage and be trusted to sort them every time in a, not a consistent way in terms of build of animal, but in a consistent way in terms of mindset. Uh, but there's, there's gotta be more of them out there. We're just not searching hard enough to find them. You know, you can tell a lot about an evaluator if you just look at their eyes when they when those livestock first are led into the ring or drove into the ring. Um, 
if they're looking at eyeballs before they look at feet, um, I've noticed some correlation. I'm not yep. saying that's the only sort, yep. but uh, just speaking from my personal perspective, I don't even know if they're male or female when they're driving their hogs. Yep. And then I, you know, at the end, I end up looking up, shaking their hand or whatever, but it's, it's little things like that. I mean, why would you put your integrity on the line just for one moment? No, it, 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 I've never understood that, uh, whatsoever. And I, and I, why you, why you would chance that? I think as an industry, we have maybe lost some focus on the fact that, um, if we continue to do things like this, and I'm, and I may be talking to that select few, of guys that are listening right now that have been have been in a situation where they let the the politics take over and and you know maybe not have been as um, truthful or, or maybe held up their integrity as they should have. There is there is no livestock shows without kids and parents that want to be involved in it, and we're going to have a lot of open shows only for for adults to go out and showcase their breeding stock if we don't continue to make it a positive experience for kids and people are turned off by politics in the real world, they're even more so turned off by politics in this industry. And if we let that take over, we're not going to have very many shows and I want my kids to show livestock. No. And I, and no, it costs, it costs too much to raise these product projects and get them to where they are for us to continue to let it go on. Yeah. Uh, like it, like it sometimes does. And it, it does hurt. And I think that's what, I think that's why at some level some of the, the stock show numbers are declining because they go that first year. And then, again, it goes back to our deal. Somebody cries politics. And maybe it wasn't there, but the person showing is not really educated enough to know that it probably wasn't. Yep. But that cry of politics, now you just took that one exhibitor that, that had a lot of disposable income that they were going to invest into a 4-H project. And, well, now they're going to go play on the – the year-long volleyball or football yeah, team and them travel away. around the world and fly around and, and they got something else to do. And then we're, we're again, down another generation of, 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 yep. of people there to, to help keep this thing going. Yep. So speaking of keeping the thing going, uh, what would you say the biggest mistake is for them, some of those fresh collegiate evaluators that are going out after the four-year or heck, even like you said, before their four-year, but what are some of the biggest mistakes that they make that you think – could mold you into a better evaluator if they were corrected? Um, probably the, the biggest thing is the over-articulation or the over-talking of animals. Um, I think they they believe so much in their ability that they don't realize how arrogant they come off. The thing I try to fight is, especially the collegiate judges, we are starting to get the tag of we are producing entitled non-knowledgeable kids that all they want to do is sort shows, but they don't, you wouldn't trust them to sort past four animals, much less go into your pasture 20 and show you what the best five are. Mm. And so oh, my can, dedication. Can we say that one more time for the people in the back? <laughs> I mean, holy shit. <laughs> my, my, my goal here and what I've tried to dedicate myself to, and, and I learned it from, you know, people like Scott Shockey and Ryan Raffman and Chris Skaggs and, and my dad and Jeremy Peak and Blake Nelson, my coaches, that, man, let's prepare these folks to be an evaluator. I hate the term livestock judger because livestock judger means you are judging something. When you learn to be an evaluator, it does not matter what ring, what species, what situation I put you in, whether you're a fat cattle buyer, whether you're running stalker cattle, uh, whatever it may be, raising show pigs, raising goats, raising commercial hair sheep. You still have the ability to decipher facts, 
and put them in a context and explain them in a way that earns you a loan, earns you respect in the ring or wherever may have you. And so my goal was not to make livestock judges. We're, we're, we're built on, hey, I'm going to teach this kid to be an evaluator. Love it. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Holy crap. I, we could do a whole other podcast on on the, the naysayers of people <laughs> that get pissed off saying that uh, these young livestock uh well, I'm using livestock. These young evaluators don't know what it's like to raise livestock or they they just come up through a judging program. And that's why they get shows like, give me a break. And I understand that there is some kids out there that maybe don't come from a privileged livestock background where they raise national champion heifers or exhibited yep. the big one at the big stages. But guys, there is an opportunity for everybody to learn how to be good at a craft uh, that they may not have had experience in. I guarantee there's a lot of people out there uh, that are in their own work environment that did not have any clue what they were doing, but through coaching and mentoring and learning how to do it, they became better and started to, to earn their stripes and get better at their craft. So I, I think the whole BS line of, of these livestock judging coaches don't know how to sort stock because that's all they do. They just grew up in the in the educational system, and, and that's all they have is, is a degree to sort stock. I disagree with that yep. uh, wholeheartedly. Yeah, I, I've always frowned on uh, those that cannot do become teachers. Yes. Because I'm, I'm one of those that, man, no, I did not grow up raising livestock. Yes, my grandparents uh, had a commercial cow herd, but they lived an hour away. I spent the summers there, but I can't say I was actively every day engaged in it. My experience came from a 4-H project that we raised on our seven acres. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we should hogs and lambs and they didn't have goats at that point in time. I was too old for that. Uh, and then, and then steers. And so that was my, I didn't come from a necessarily quote unquote practical background, but man, I busted my tail to try to, to, to pick from everybody I was around and gain a knowledge base to where, Hey, we run 70 cows now, my wife and I do. And yes, we got a small goat herd that we're again, currently trying to sell. (laughs) And, uh, and, and, but, but, that love for livestock, that love for learning, that love for the industry has grown into something to where I can hopefully consider myself one day a very, very practical stockman. And, and, uh, and, then, and it didn't it didn't start on a ranch necessarily. Yeah. And in the same breath, if you do yeah. start on a ranch or you never went through the judging program, doesn't mean you're not a talented evaluator either. There's, there's no, yeah, two, I've, there's I've, two I've, different I've paths that going around. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I think, again, it goes back to our negativity. Uh, I, I don't think we should be negative towards one route to get to a particular goal because we didn't uh because i actually when when i start hearing that oh well you didn't have to be in a judging program to judge a livestock show i totally agree with that yeah totally agree yeah. with it but the way it started to come off a little bit is more of a bite yeah. and a knock at kids that did go through a livestock judging program uh no you you are what you want to make of what you are uh mm-hmm. and, and and so by god if, if you don't want to go through a judging program you can still go judge livestock shows. You got a different route you're going to take to get there, but it's definitely capable. But yet, if you're a kid like me, that no, I didn't grow up on some ranch. I didn't have a big practical background. You can get some knowledge and, and grow and learn and utilize those programs like they're designed to be utilized, and you can get there too. So to me, you can get there either route. Let's just not be so hard on whichever one you take. Yeah. Agree. So uh, let, let's jump back into uh, some cattle talk. Uh, and yeah. this will be maybe a little bit brief. It may, it may not be. Um, but you know, with, with as many, uh, shows as you're sorting and, and, and just raising cattle, um, you know, there's been a lot of talk as livestock right now in general 
are as good as we've ever made them. And that's, that's a, a testament to all the years and, and work that's been put in. But, you know, what, what are some of the maybe bigger issues that you see facing uh, the show cattle world and, and uh, just touch on some of that? Um, I think at some point in time, we, we can't forget history and the basics. I think we're so entrenched with how big bone can we get them? How long neck can we get them? And I would say in the case of cattle, but this is with pigs now too and sheep, how, how hairy can we get these things? Yeah. Uh, and we focus so much on that. And our, our younger ones are starting to sort shows on that, that we forget when they say it's a market steer show, doesn't that calf have to be one you would deem a market animal, you know, or, or doesn't that pig need to be one you deem killing, killing weight or, or ready to go? And and so I think that's one thing we're starting as a show stock industry. We're, we're, we're so entrenched with building them with the details the right way. Uh, y- y'all's coach taught me this, actually. Uh, I, I've got I've got to give him credit, Dan Hogue. Um, I. I was sitting at that, you know, y'all interviewed him and he was talking about that, that steer from Houston that he mm-hmm. judged. Um, mm-hmm. He had his year wrong. He said, Oh nine, but it was Oh five. Cause I was the, the ring intern that year. <laughs> and that was my senior year at A&M. And I stood right by him in that pillar. And when that calf come around the corner, he turned to me and said, Callus, welcome to the Houston steer show. And I'm trying to, I can't use my dramatic Dan Hogue voice to do it. But that's, <laughs> that's what it was. And it sent chills down my spine when I saw it. And to this day, that's probably the best calf I've ever seen. Uh, but it's one of those, one of those deals still of, he also taught me during that course of the show, we had a, there was a Simmental breed drive. I'll never forget it. And we were talking about it afterwards. And I was like, you know, that one you picked two breeds ago looked more like that reserve. And he said, let me explain something to you about R&D. And I was like, R&D, what's that? He said, research and development. He said, research and development would tell you that we've raised these animals to get to a certain market rate, to have a certain amount of finish on them, and to be right in terms of their muscle. He said, that little calf didn't quite meet those specs. And that it stuck with me, the whole R&D deal. And so I think we're, as we try to make them – as we try to max them out in terms of skeletal correctness, we got to be careful not to forget those market fundamentals, not to forget that a market animal still needs probably to have some muscle, not to forget they still need to be the finished product if we're going to call that the champion. right Now, if they change the, sh- the show title, the champion show steer, hey, throw market fundamentals out the way, use the soundest, biggest bone, hairiest, longest neck one you want to use. <laughs> I do not care. But they say they call it a market steer show. We've got to still have some market fundamentals. So do you say those lighter weight ones in the first couple of divisions, do you think they are harder to become champion just because they're not quite at market weight? I guess you see it more in the, the so, show hog deal. So uh, again, just for- again, and I, I heard you, you were talking about your own show. See, this is how much I listen to you guys. <laughs> you were talking about your own judging a show experience and how you favored one that was maybe 240 or 243 or something you said because he was lighter. Well, to me, know where your market benchmark is. To me, if a hog, he, he can still be the champion if he's at 250. He don't have to be 280. To me, a, a mm-hmm. champion steer does not have to weigh 1350, 1380. He can be 1290, 1300. At last time I checked, research and development says, hey, that's still a good killing weight. Yeah. Do they make more money when they weigh upper 13s and 1400s without getting discounts? You betcha. So that opens the door. I, I think our, our range of market acceptability in terms of weight and things, it's wide. Uh, I know on mm-hmm. a cattle deal is and that's when people ask me, you know, what's my target weight? As long as it's a market weight and one where they look finished, I think I'm good with it. 
yeah. you know, you start talking about a a twelve hundred and twenty pound steer or a two hundred and twenty pound hog or a hundred and fifteen pound lamb or yeah, you're starting approaching things that maybe they aren't quite ready and need several more days. So yeah, as long as they meet a market spec, I think they should be eligible to be the champion if you like. Now I think I think that's interesting because sometimes at the county fair level, uh you may you may struggle to find a heavyweight market ready animal that you like. Uh and if yep. you get to that stage and then You've got. I'll just use this example. I judged a a, a big county fair in terms of uh, population numbers, but a small county fair in terms of actual show animals that were there. But up in yep. Michigan, and the best lamb in that barn weighed 107 pounds, like bar yep. none quality. Actually, had like show sheep genetics, and the next one was the heavyweight that was bad for. I mean, just not good stock. But you gotta you you gotta figure out where you're at, and I think if you if you figure out where you're at, and you just know what's in front of you, I was gonna kick myself if I walked away and didn't use that sheep to win. And so I <laughs> yeah, I don't blame, right? I don't. And so you. I used him. But in a setting to where you have livestock that are that still have holes and maybe they're lightweight, um, you know that's where. I, and I think we talked about this, Trevor, in, in one of our previous episodes. It's like you kind of got to know where you're at. But let's let's get as close yeah. to being market weight, or you know, just find the fundamentals that that you're okay with. So, and I'll and I'll tell you too, there will always be exceptions to the rule. I'm a, I'm the exception to the stereotype, I call it. Uh, so there were there will always be exceptions to the rule. There will always be that that unexpected circumstance where, boy, I just got to, I can't, I'm not gonna be able to live with myself and drive home if I do not use that animal. Yeah. Yes, right. it might be a little heavy. Yes, it might be a little light, but I am not getting back in my vehicle on that plane unless that animal's in the in the picture, yes. you know, type of deal. Yeah. Oh, well, and it's just the opposite end. We just talked about the light ones. Some of those extra chuffy, chubby, greasy ones, I have a harder time using them more times than not. Uh, so it can go both ways. Yep. If they're past their end point too, that's, that's just as, as equally a, uh, negative as it is not quite there. You so, know, on that, on that, uh, on that note, one of my favorite people in the world, and this truly, and this is again, what the livestock judging program has brought to me. Probably one of the people I love talking to the most just about life in general is Brian Arnold. And we got to visit the night before I judge a steer show at Denver and the night that he finished doing the Hawk show. And we got to talking about this whole feeding older stock thing. Oh, and, 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 it's one of those deals of, I'm not going to lie. Heck, I want them big bone and stout and maxed out and sound too. And I, and I know you got to have them sometimes older to do that, but yet I don't necessarily want to use one. that looks like he's three years old either. Um, <laughs> right. And, and so it's one of those deals, you know, I'm not sure what the answer is. I'm not sure where we're going with that. Uh, uh, but it's one of those deals, man, you, that still is in the back of your mind. If, if you raise animals at all, it's like, man, that thing's head looks like he's a four year old, oh, yeah. you know, type of deal. And, 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 and so that crossed your mind too. When, when one just big mammoth walks in there and everybody says, Hey, that one needs to win the show. And you, and you have that one moment of clarity where you say, you know, I almost think that's a two year old running in here with the ones that are the right age. I think I'm going to beat him, you know? And I think, yeah. and I think, and, and I think that's okay. You know, and, and those yeah. that want to use them great. Cause a lot of times those are some special animals that are put together in a fundamental way. It just took them that long to get there. But at the same time, if we're really trying to project these things in the right market spec, that thing's old. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're going to slide right into one of my favorite segments called social smash. And you said you've been listening to, so 
kind of understand where we're coming from. We just want to know what's your biggest pet peeve on social media, and it can relate to the, the general livestock uh, industry too. Yep. Uh, keep it classy uh, on your post and on on the things you do. Like people were so quick to argue, and I'm fine with discussing things, but when you go and air the dirty laundry, and it gets extremely personal, and pretty much it's like you just pulled out the gun emoji and shot somebody just because you're that it's mad scary, at them. He's like, you want to remind them. Yeah, oh, that's right. <laughs> you want to you want to remind them that's a keyboard you're typing on, that's a human being on the other end, and that's still a crime. Like, just just keep it classy. I I hate when it gets just so sleazy and out of control. And it, hey, I'm not gonna lie, it's entertaining at times to read through that. But just you, you got to keep it classy. I always tell my judging kids that uh, they're in love with with Snapchat and things, and they only think it lasts for a little while, but they've actually been in trouble over the last few years a couple of times because of Snapchat. So it's, mm. it's there longer than you think and, and it leaves a permanent mark. And so just watch what you allow to go on to social media to represent yourself. Cause I, I don't re- think the younger ones realize uh, I'm not going to lie. When a judge and recruit calls me and I don't necessarily know them or recognize them, I punch your name in the Facebook. I do. Yep. Cause I, I want to see who you're about and what you do. And yeah, you can put up a good face on Facebook <laughs> And, and show me what you want to show me. But at the same time, I search long and hard enough. I'm going to find kind of your true colors as well. Well, I'm not going to lie either. I did a little creeping on uh, you before we got to, to talk. Oh, yeah. So there you it's go. It's all good. <laughs> he didn't, he no. didn't believe you were. I, uh, I just found more. So he just, he just said, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, what I found, though, was a pretty good young football player and some kids getting ready to go to school. So I think we're good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 boy, it pains me. He didn't want to play football this year. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. That that kid is, is so athletically gifted when it comes to that. He's a bit like my dad. My dad played one semester of college football. My brother played a semester of college football. I was a non-athletic one of the family. Uh, but that, that kid's got some. But this year he decided not to. So, so I said, hey. We're gonna get in the barn a little more. You want to keep the steers, so you get to get in the barn. So we've trade we've go. traded it off, and it's still been a good trade so far. But I do hope he plays next year because he does like it. What uh, what what positions do you play? Cool. Uh, like my father, he is a defensive lineman Ooh. and a and an offensive lineman. I never when you're four foot nine in the ninth grade and you're still trying to hang on to the dream of playing quarterback. Uh, it hurts for man the reality of fo- yeah. football uh was kind of my problem uh i got put on cleanup time I-, I tell them i got the best passer rating in evil history and the worst i went seven for seven one quarter and then i got it in for cleanup duty because we were being killed like by 40 points it was a quarter i threw one pass and it was an interception uh, so I-, I got i've got the best and the worst right there in evil high school history i believe man four foot nine it seems like uh safety probably would have been a little better position for you I did play safety and cornerback. Well, there you go. They at least had you right on defense. I did. I had you right on defense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's good. Hey, let's let's finish up with uh, with one last question here. Uh, yeah. You know, we appreciate Social Smash, and boy, it just seems like everybody's on the same train of thought, and we're still wondering why people do what they do. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, okay, so uh, where do you see this show stock industry in five years? And you could take it how, whichever direction you want to go. Um, I still have a lot of optimism for it. I think what it teaches and, and the values of it, there's a lot of people, new ones that are just getting into kind of ag or 4 FFA, but then also seasoned ones that have been generations of it. They still see the core values of it. So I don't necessarily think it's going away, but I do think 
we need to be careful and make sure we're doing a, our due diligence and a good job of caring for uh, the industry. When I say caring for the industry, again, like we touched on the whole politics thing, don't cry it when it's not there, when it's not obviously there. But at the same time, hold those accountable. Hold them to the flame when you do see it, uh, or at least right. keep it in question. Uh, also, be a responsible breeder, uh, trader, feeder of these things. Uh, I think we, we do some things in terms of how we prep these animals, for lack of a better phrase, or trying to keep it PC enough, uh, that we've got to quit doing. Uh, and, and maybe it's us as judges just need to call it out and maybe it will quit a little bit. And I tried to, but I never want to embarrass a kid at the same time because I don't yeah, know if they were in, right. involved with it. But just things like that. We just I think it's still a good, wholesome thing. I think it's still a positive thing. or I wouldn't let my kids do it. Uh, but I think we need to make sure we're caring for it the right way. And just like we need to put God and Jesus back in schools, we need to try to keep him in the most forefront of what we're doing here in this livestock industry as well. Mm-hmm. One of the coolest things they do in, in nice. Texas and Oklahoma is they, they usually uh, uh, say the pledge or the national anthem and then uh, do a little prayer beforehand. I thought that was cool about the Indiana State Fairground Drive is Terry Schaefer gave uh, a really kind of an inspirational prayer before we started that grand drive. And I, I just stuff like that just makes you feel good about where you're at. Yeah, it just, just gets you to a good start. And again, I'm a I guess I'm a Jesus freak. I guess you'd call it. I just, I, I, I like to talk about it. I like when it's out there. I just think life's better with him in your life. Mm-hmm. Ooh, man. Well, Mr. Callis, that's a heck of a way to end this deal. I, uh, first and foremost, wanted to apologize for all the deal stuff we hey, had to deal with there. That's all right. Technical that's issues. All right. The 84 Cutlass finally but, got uh, here. Okay. We, we got to tell <laughs> you know the story. We got to tell the story and how, how this happened. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, I guess for all you listening, um, I'm at the office. It's a little bit prehistoric. We've got a desktop and it's a little older. Uh, I do not have a laptop because I break them or my kids break them. So I just hadn't believed in buying one just yet. And uh, my microphone wasn't working. And so we carried on, what, about a 45 minute conversation by me listening to y'all on the headphones (laughs) and me texting you back the replies, which I thought was very entertaining and good. Uh, But at the same time, I finally got a, a Senate kid to go get us a laptop and he didn't I didn't realize he was going all the way to his dorm which is seven miles from my office and uh he drives and and he he reminded me it is a Lincoln town car and it's an 86 model oh. um <laughs> and he he drove it all the way there and uh he claims he was following the highway patrol that's what took him so long but I told him when you're driving an 86 Lincoln and it's 2019 uh I respect your game for respecting history but at the same time we got to get this show on the road <laughs> Yeah, so we were we were poking fun a little bit there to, as we were talking through a text and a microphone. It was hey, uh, those Lincoln, was those Lincoln time hey, cars I, uh, don't go the, over forty five. That's just I think the general rule. <laughs> hey, <laughs> that blowing white this smoke. This one he turned into the parking lot to this morning for a practice, and I thought it was going to turn over. It's got that strong lean to it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's suspension good. on that deal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well. Uh, thanks for jumping on, man. This has been a, a really another another good episode and a different one at that. And uh, you know, you called me back there and said your your son's one that told you, hey, they just said your name on there. So uh, I w- you're on the list anyway, man. So just a good episode. I appreciate your time and uh, thanks for letting us open up your brain a man, little bit. Man, thank you guys for all you do. I, I love this platform. I love the information you're getting out. My, my buddy Ferris there as well. Just There's a lot of good going on and I'm glad we're finally getting into an age into a state where we can kind of share this stuff with everybody. Oh yeah, 
for sure. Hey, you're yeah, uh, you're totally almost great. as long as Hook's episode, by the way. Hey, nobody can ever be longer than Hook. He likes to talk. <laughs> there, no way. No way. <laughs> awesome. No. Hey, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, if you haven't by now and you've made it this far, uh, you need to go follow us our so- or follow us on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, add us on Snap, Trevor's supposed to be checking that i can't really run it off my deal it's yeah we uh we're rolling heavy on the snapchat friends you guys are killing it there uh well i think we've had like uh 50 in the past three days so yeah yeah. and don't forget uh make sure you click that subscribe button that'll allow you to get a notification every time we do something new uh so subscribe and it helps us a bunch if you rate us and leave us a little review uh, that allows us to climb up the ladder in the podcast. Game. Yeah, we're trying to get we're so, trying to get stock uh, talk from like number seven hundred and fifty three to at least in the top ten. So that would be yeah. nice if we could if we could do that as an industry. That would be helpful. So let's all kind of come together and uh, and help us out. But no, we we love you guys. We thanks for listening. Um, as a reminder, go to stocktalk podcastcom You can find your merch. Uh, there's a link to Spotify on there. Uh, some how-to videos and other things. Uh, continue to to research if you haven't already. Go to our Patreon website. That's kind of our uh, uncut and, and neat kind of interviews that uh, we're doing kind of amongst ourselves. And we might even pull a few guests in there every once in a while. But that's dot com slash Stock Talk Podcast. Uh, you should be able to find us there. Uh chance to to get some free merch and things like that depending on your subscription level uh uncut episodes uh me and trevor just pretty much cutting loose and and uh, having a good time so continue to follow us there thanks guys guys we love you and we couldn't do it without you this has been another edition of stock talk